Friends, we are indeed in Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to read two verses from the beginning of our Bibles. And it's amazing how much the beginning of our Bibles really sound like the end of our Bibles. Where we begin is where we close in the benediction, God's victory in a garden. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed... And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray just in these moments that however we've come here this morning, whether we're a member of this church and a believer and and this is our routine for Sunday or we're new here or somebody drug us here and we're not sure what we think about you or, or the living presence of Christ in our midst. We trust your word. We trust your Holy Spirit. We trust that you can go out from these words and reach into our hearts wherever we're coming from and speak the truth of the resurrection. And so we trust you. We trust you with these moments that we spend together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have been attending Cola Prez, you know that we are neck deep in a series on Genesis. We've been marching through, just camping out Genesis 1 through 4. We're going to do that for six months, and we're not going to rush ourselves. But anytime a holiday comes up, you've got the preacher's dilemma, right? Because we're doing this series that I love, but, but now here comes this holiday, and do I break the series and do a one-off sermon for the holiday? Do I keep going? What's right? What's wrong? And of course, there's no right or wrong answer. If, if you've got a Columbus Day sermon burning in your bones, by all means, share it with the people. You're not going to get it wrong. But of course, Easter is different. Easter is different because our entire Bibles are leading up to anticipating and being written in light of God's victory in Christ and the resurrection. So anywhere you are in your Bible or anywhere you want to go in your Bible, it's going to have a connection to the resurrection. The whole Bible can be interpreted by what we say happens on this Easter Sunday. Imagine your Bible like a guitar with a thousand strings to it, okay? It's like this magical guitar, and when you pluck the note of Easter, when you pluck the note of the resurrection, that's the melody, and what I'm saying is, unlike any other instrument in the world, every other string you pluck will be its harmony. Every other string in our Bibles, anywhere you are, you pluck that, and you will hear a harmony with the resurrection. Now, you might want to play it safe and go to the Gospels on Easter Sunday, and and you pluck a note there, and and of course you're going to hear a harmony in the Gospels because the Gospels are hurtling towards the reality that Jesus, as he says, is going to die and rise again. I hear the harmony in the Gospels. But maybe you want to get crazy and and go to the minor prophets, and, and you try to bury yourself in Zechariah, and you pluck a note there. Well, we were here on Palm Sunday, and we heard Jesus riding on a colt prophesied there, and the harmony is in Zechariah. So what if you want to go really crazy and reach back all the way to the beginning of your Bible, as far from Jesus in the text as you can get, and play a note from Genesis, and lo and behold, you will hear harmony with the resurrection 
What was written then, what was intended then, is to build towards this very day that we celebrate. That's what we're going to see this morning. Even at the beginnings of our Bibles, this is harmony with the resurrection. This leads to the resurrection because the whole Bible is in these three stages, creation, fall, redemption. Wherever I am, I see creation and fall and redemption. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So think about creation. In the very beginning, as our text says, we're introduced to the Garden of Eden. And look again at that description in verse 8. It's beautiful. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden, and out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. I mean, wouldn't you kill to have seen that garden to experience that garden, to just see what a garden planted by God looks like. I kind of picture it like Finley Park, but without the weed and broken dreams, like just, just this beautiful green place. I mean, we just don't have an earthly metaphor for the Garden of Eden. We can't even get ourselves there. But, but what's described there is this abundant life in God. So it's this place of nourishment and beauty. That's what our text is saying. It, it feeds the people, but it's also beautiful to look at. It's this place of flourishing. Like Adam and Eve actually get to do creative, life-giving work that bears fruit for God. They get to flourish where they are. And above all, it's a place of perfect communion with God. There's no barrier between humanity and God. A perfect, living, breathing relationship with him, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. It's this fellowship that's here. And we know that sin enters the world, and we know that sin breaks the perfection of Eden, but we still feel its hints here and now, don't we? Don't we feel these things here and now? It's like, it's like Eden is a mirror and it's been hit by a rock, but it hasn't been ground to dust. So the shards are lying around and we see them there, but anytime you pick one up, you see a reflection of how we were intended to be, of what God had in mind when he created us. We feel something of what Eden is supposed to be even in our lives now, even after the fall. I was sitting next to a guy in a bar recently and he was several beers in, and he leaned over to me and said, man, isn't this world so flippin' beautiful? Now, how did I respond theologically, knowing what I know about Genesis 2 and 3? And, and did I say to him, no, this is a place of cesspool of sin? Of course I didn't. I said, you know, you're right. It is. It's a beautiful place. I pulled up to work this week and Joey, wherever he is, he pulled up at the same time and he's going to Inda and I'm going to Cola Prez and he gets out and says, man, that is the prettiest sunrise I have ever seen. What do you say to that? No, all I see is brokenness and woe. No, I see a pretty sunrise. That's amazing. Like that, that strikes me when I get out of my car and see that. Seth invited me to his house this week to help him build a tree house because he wanted to make it into a sermon illustration. And... And it was one of those days where it's like everything went right. Everything measured right. Everything was plumb and square. We only had to go to Lowe's one time. It was like flourishing in a project that we were doing together. We do these things, whether we are Christians or not, and we have these brilliant moments throughout our lives 
where God feels so near, where the world feels so beautiful, where what we're doing in our jobs or our hobbies or with our families, it just feels so fulfilling. And these are echoes of Eden. They're put there to remind us of where we've come from and where we might be going so we don't despair and don't lose hope and don't have anything to look, live for. There are echoes of Eden here and now in the world. So that's God, how God created the world to be and we can all prove it because we've, we've felt that in our lives but of course sin enters the world and, and this original idea for Eden is broken. You know, it was Dorothy who said to her dog Toto in The Wizard of Oz, I, I got the feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. And, and you read Genesis chapter 2 and you look around and you read the newspaper and you look at your family and your generations and, and the awkwardness of this afternoon with extended family at the table and, and you look inside of your hearts and you say, man, I got a feeling we're not needing anymore. This, this can't be what God has intended. Isn't it interesting that, that I feel like even my unbelieving friends would be, would say and agree, I mean, this can't be all there is. This can't be the world as it's intended to be. Something is wrong with this world. Something is broken with this world. You know, Genesis chapter three, verse 23 are some of the hardest words in the entire Bible. Because humanity sinned, and because we love our sin and because we prefer our sin to God and reject him and resist him, we read in Genesis 3, because of sin, the Lord sent them out from the garden of Eden to work the ground. We were there geographically in an actual place. Now we're not there anymore. And it's interesting because from this point on, the Bible doesn't talk about us in a garden, it talks about us as a garden. So we're no longer talking about the geographical place in Eden. We now describe humanity as a garden itself. That's kind of how the Bible describes us. And so you find all these metaphors in the Old Testament of people as trees and, and vineyards and gardens. And honestly, the description is not flattering. For example, Isaiah says that, that we're like a vineyard but were a vineyard that had been planted by God and, and would have flourished, but we have no wall and we have no watchtower, no one guarding us, and we have no gardener to prune us. And so the wild animals are allowed to come and go and, and thorns and briars grow up in our midst. And, and what could have been beautiful all of a sudden is this desolate place. Any of you all feel that in your hearts? Any of you all feel that in your families? What, what could have flourished and what could have thrived now because of sin and now because of my love affair with myself and, and resisting God to pursue what I want, all of a sudden what could have been a beautiful thing is now this desolate place. It feels like wherever I look, things have been trampled down. Things are infected with thorns and briars. We feel the weight of lives outside of Eden and we feel the weight of lives that look so unlike Eden, so unlike what God had intended for us. Because that's true, because God made us that way in creation and because we fell in our fall and resistance to him, that's why the redemption good news of Easter is so sweet to us. For God so loved the world he sent a gardener. 
Because God so loved the world, he sent a gardener. Jesus shows up and he can't stop talking about gardens. He's talking to an agrarian culture, but he's talking about the kingdom like a garden. And he says the kingdom of God is like seed planted on good soil that grows up to to bear fruit that is 30, 60, and 100 fold. He says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed you plant in the ground and it grows up and it becomes this place where the birds of the air can come and find their nests. He says the kingdom of God is like a vineyard. The kingdom of God is like a field of wheat. The kingdom of God is like a vine with branches connected to it that are able to draw their nourishment from it and flourish in this beautiful garden. You can't hear Jesus talk for long without an ache for Eden. I want that. I want what he's talking about. I look at my life and it feels like Isaiah and I look at what Jesus is saying and and I want that flourishing in my heart and in my life and in my family. Well, we cross from garden parable to garden reality at Calvary. That's why we're here on this holy weekend. That's why we observe this weekend because we go from talking about it to being about it, hearing about it to experiencing it. All of a sudden, it becomes a reality for us. Now, I don't think I've ever noticed this in my Bible before. It it struck me in a new way, at least in this year. But many of you all were at the joint Good Friday service that we did at North Trenton Baptist and praise God, beautiful service. What we did there was lean in on the two criminals that were crucified with Jesus and we observed what happened in each of their lives and praise God, one of those men who was crucified with Jesus trusts in Christ in the final hours of his life and when he does, he hears some of the most beautiful words in all of scripture. Jesus says to him at his confession, truly I say to you today, what? You will be with me in paradise. Three of you know that verse. You, you will be with me in paradise. Now, follow me and I'll make this as painless as possible. But we know that our Old Testament is written in Hebrew. New Testament is written in Greek. A little bit of Aramaic sprinkled in. So you have this Old Testament that's in Hebrew, but you're living in the Roman Empire in Jesus' day where everybody is speaking Greek. And so some Jews grow up only speaking Greek, not Hebrew. And if you're a Jew who speaks Greek, you don't have access to your Bible, which is in Hebrew. What are you going to do about it? Well, praise God, some guys came along and translated the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek. So all of a sudden, in the Septuagint, you could read your Bible in your mother tongue. Everybody following so far? So Old Testament was in Hebrew, now it's in Greek. And here's my point. When the translators are kind of working their way through the Hebrew Old Testament, and they start in Genesis, and they're translating everything into Greek, when they get to Genesis chapter 2, and they get to the verse I read, and they saw the name of the garden which is in Eden... Do you know what Greek word they used to translate the Hebrew word Eden? Paradise. Paradise. The garden in paradise. Which means that if you were a Greek-speaking Jew and you could have heard that mumbled conversation on the cross, you would have heard Jesus say to that criminal, truly I say to you, Today you will be with me in the Garden of Eden. 
Isn't that wild? Jesus opens the way back to Eden. And the symbolism gets even deeper because we know that Jesus is crucified on Friday and he speaks that good news of Eden to the rebel and then he gives up his spirit and dies and and John, the gospel writer, takes over the story in John 19 and says, well, now they needed to bury Jesus. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices. Now in the place where he was crucified, There was a garden, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid, and they laid Jesus there. The one who opens the Garden of Eden is crucified and buried in a garden. Do you see the symbolism here? But it gets even deeper than that because Mary Magdalene is the first one to witness the resurrection. She's the one that runs to the tomb. She's there to go see and observe and mourn over his body. But the stone is gone and the, the body is gone. And she begins to weep because naturally she thinks, well, we would have thought that someone had taken the body. And while she's weeping, John continues her story. She turned around and saw Jesus standing But she didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? What are you seeking? But she supposed him to be the gardener. She thought he was the gardener. I'm standing in a garden. There's a man here I don't recognize. And he's alive. And I think he's the gardener. Why is that such a wonderful mistake to make? Because Jesus is the gardener. Because he is the gardener who has come into our desolate places to plant and bring newness by his resurrection power. He is the gardener who opens the way to Eden for us. We were born outside of Eden. We were were longing for Eden in our sin even as we were resisting it. And now in Jesus the gardener, he opens the way of Eden 2.0 and welcomes us in Jesus is risen, the gardener is risen. That's the gospel. That gospel good news this Easter morning. It is so simple. Any of us, if this is our first time hearing this, it's so simple for us to hear and receive. Because for all of us who will admit our sin and our brokenness, if we will own what Isaiah says about us, we look at our hearts and we look at our lives and we say, that's true. I see that desolation. I see that love affair with sin and self. I see my resistance to God. If we will own that and we will throw ourselves on the gardener who says I've come to take that desolation upon myself and to bring you new life in Christ, well then we can hear from Jesus today what the rebel heard from Jesus on Good Friday. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in Eden. Now, that's a future promise, right? We're all expecting that when we die or when Jesus comes, when we least expect it, that will be a future reality, right? We will, we will enter that Eden 2.0 and we will enjoy that in the future. And I know that and I believe that and we bank our lives on that. But I want us to think about the present reality of Easter resurrection flourishing today. Easter is not just about transporting us to Eden in the future. 
It is also about God transforming us into Eden here and now in the present. Did y'all catch that? Easter is not just about transporting us, taking us from here and getting us as quickly as possible to heaven forever where we will spend that reality with God. Easter is also about God bringing that transforming power here and now in our lives as they stand. Easter is a here and now and not a wait and see. You understand that, church? Easter is a here and now and not a wait and see. If y'all are looking for a wait-and-see proposition, then buy yourself a used car on Craigslist, okay? That, that's a wait-and-see. If y'all are into a wait-and-see, then, then get a third helping of honey-baked ham today, and that's kind of a wait-and-see how that's going to turn out for you. If y'all are into a wait-and-see, then, then keep cheering for the Gamecocks, okay? That, that's a wait-and-see proposition. We are not dealing in the wait-and-sees today. We are dealing in certainties because we stand on resurrection ground, and that has effect in the world and in our hearts here and now. Y'all need some here and now? Listen to the way the prophets have always talked about what life in Jesus will be here and now. Isaiah 51 says, For the Lord comforts Zion, he comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. That's what Jesus does here and now. Anybody here trying to see the wilderness of sin and shame become like resurrection Eden? That's available here and now. Listen to Jeremiah 31, which is our conversion story. The people found grace in the wilderness. God didn't just transport them out of the wilderness. They found his grace in the wilderness and their life shall be like a watered garden. Anybody here walking in the wilderness? Anybody feeling the desolation of a, of a rocky marriage that I can't fix right now? Or an addiction that I can't shake? Or a sin that I can't share with anyone? Or a trauma in my life that I can't forgive? A shame that I can't live down? Jesus says, I come in resurrection power to the wilderness place, and I don't just take you out of that. I begin to go to work on you in that. I bring my resurrection to power to bear in the waste places to make them flourish. Let me give you one more from Ezekiel 36. God says, behold, I am for you. That's the banner over Easter. For behold, I am for you and I will turn to you and you shall be tilled and sown. And they will say about you, church, this land that was desolate has become like the garden of Eden. You hear that? It's like when a person comes to our fellowship and they've been away for a while or they come to our dinner table around our family because they've been away for a while or they sit with us over coffee because they've been away for a while. They're going to say to us, according to Ezekiel, you know, the last time I was here, things were a little parched and things were a little dry and things were a little sandy and desolate. I, I know the sin that you were struggling with that besets you every day and, and I know the shame that you were living with that was weighing you down and I know the thing that was done against 
against you that you could not forgive. And I know those things and I saw those things then, but now when I'm here, I feel like everything is lush and green. You look like the watered garden of Eden. That's the victory of Easter. The gardener is risen to transform the desert places in our lives today and to transport us to Eden 2.0 forever. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, bring the water, bring the rain, bring the gardener, bring the pruning that hurts for a season but brings good life. Bring resurrection power into the waste places as all the prophets promised that you would and takes what, take what feels so desolate in our lives and bring new life. For some of us, that's the day of salvation. That's, that's coming to you and trusting in you for the first time, believing in you. Bring your resurrection power. To some of us who have been walking with you and we feel that desolation in our lives, we seek your power in those places. Water us, nourish us, cause us to flourish by your resurrection this Easter Sunday, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.